This is Lex Kibernetica, the cyber law podcast by the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Lex Kibernetica. A healthy innovation ecosystem is crucial for states to handle cybersecurity threats, explains our first guest. Hi, my name is Amichiniak. Um, I'm a postdoc here at the Hebrew University, currently in a few different research institutes the Truman Institute, the Davis Institute, and also the Cybersecurity Research Institute here at the university. Just came back from another postdoc at Harvard Kennedy School. Um, and before that, I wrote my PhD in the Department of Political Science here in the Hebrew University while I was serving in the IDF, uh, working on issues of uh, strategy and policy formation. What is unique about cyber threats uh, that renders traditional methods and procedures impractical? Cybersecurity threats or cyber threats emerge very fast. So until now, if you had a threat, say somebody is going to shoot a missile on you, you went back to your own military, your own research institutes, big companies that are used to work with militaries, aka the industrial military uh, complex in the United States. And also you have that in Israel as well. And slowly, slowly, with a very slow and dedicated engineering process, they would develop a solution. After a couple of years, if you're successful, you'll have a solution. The Iron Dome. For example, the Iron Dome. You'll have a technical solution to mitigate a technical threat. The problem with cyber is that until you did that long process, went through all the bureaucracy, the change already evolved, moved on, inflict harm, and you couldn't mitigate. Hence, government understands today that the way to tackle those threats in terms of research and development is to create some kind of a outsourcing scheme. Knowledge of the threat generated by the state, moving to universities, moving to companies, small and big, doing that with the aid of external funds by venture capitalism, and eventually producing a product which can be described as dual use, meaning it will provide something that the states can incorporate in their own formal institutions, militaries and such, but also it will be useful to sell for the private sector as well. But eventually we don't even have enough engineers that know something about cyber and computers to tackle the threats. Um, In 20 years, we will need a thousand more. Therefore, states can also widen the scope of the ecosystem and invest in education, invest in the standardization of different security protocols, and therefore affect that also in other realms. So you can see also the ecosystem as not just regarding research and development, but also as regarding the development of knowledge in a much more wider sense. As an infrastructure. Yeah. So this is an infrastructure of knowledge. There can be different tools done by states, done by companies in order to make it happen. You can actually create incentives like tax incentives. So the Israeli uh, cyber uh, ecosystem have this wonderful example um, of a physical entity, a park, that is the realization of the idea of a cyber innovation ecosystem. You build the infrastructure, including trains, transportations, who knows, maybe even the right place to live nearby and the right place to drink a beer after. You ask the university with the right incentives to shift their computer engineering or cyber engineering or cyber studies department to work there. 
you ask the military to shift their J6 or uh, computer uh, uh, analysts to go and work there and cyber units to move and to do their work in that place. You give tax incentives to companies, both international, but also local, to go and work there. So in the cyber park, you have big companies like Dell, but you also have a WeWork section in which very small, innovative startups work. And all this is done together, collaborating on issues which are important to all, which can be materialized also financially, but also will be materialized in the creation or the enhancement of security for the state itself. And your research in this um, area, can you tell us about it? Okay, our research asks two big questions. One, we're asking questions about the comparative aspect of that. Why and how do different states tackle the same issue and choose what they would call an ecosystem in different ways? And I will give you two examples for that. The United States, for example. The United States, being so big and so prominent in the field of um, innovation in general, cybersecurity innovation in particular, but it has an issue, it has a problem or a challenge that is usually described as the East-West gap, meaning the big companies in the West Coast around the Silicon Valley, the one that are the cradle of the creation of an internet itself, are very much anti-institutional. They don't like to work with the state. What they did is to choose a path of creating new units, working for the Department of Defense and DOD. One of them is called the DIUX, which is their sort of like government-owned venture capitalism fund. It is led by people that come from the West Coast culture. Um, it has money which is easily transferred. They don't demand results as they would demand from other big companies that are building planes or tanks for the, for the, for the American military. And it is a result of the understanding of them that they cannot cope with threat in the same way they did before. They have to go to those hippies, so-called, in the West Coast. And you have to, um, you have to pack that request in a suit that will suit them. This is a very different situation in Israel. In Israel, for example, creating the cyber park is very easy. Because a lot of the people in the industry came from the um, corresponding army units. Exactly. Uh, you can say that 80%, usually it's been said that 80 or 90% of all high-tech companies originate from two distinct units in the IDF. One day they work on a product, the other day they do a similar thing for the, for the army. Sometimes, you know, they get hired by the army. Uh, a lot of them are officers, you know, and it, it doesn't seem to be unnatural. Let me give you another example. Denmark is a modern, small country, very, um, has a lot of high tech, doesn't have a lot of knowledge about cybersecurity. What they did is to invest in the foreign office. For the first time, a country, a sovereign country, has what they call tech ambassadors. And now they have embassies situated in big companies like Microsoft, in big tech uh, ecosystems. So they have one in Tel Aviv, for example, and they will have one in, they have a few in California and they have a few um, around the Boston area and some other places. Those embassies are there 
to represent the Danish uh, uh, interests in order to get the right, right knowledge, information, products to provide the same kind of security that the Danish um, state is supposed to give to their companies and their individuals. This is one aspect, a comparative aspect in my research. The other aspect of my research is asking much bigger questions. What can we learn from this phenomenon of cybersecurity ecosystems um, to our understanding of security, modern security, national security? We used to perceive uh, national security as dealing with threats to the state, working with the military, using very distinct mechanisms of war, very certain technologies. You don't see a person driving a tank. A tank will always be something which belongs to a state. And suddenly we have these ecosystems as an important component of a very important and rising issue of national security, which is cybersecurity. So security today is something which is much more elusive, but it also demands um, a connection between sectors which until lately was very unacceptable. Nobody will fight a war with the private sector. You have a military, an army wearing uniform. And suddenly you have the a collaboration needed to fight the wars in a way. Um, so this is the new aspect to look at security on the threat and on the solution that we can provide. The ecosystem is very complex. It's comprised of uh, the academia, uh, the industry and the government. Our next guest belongs to the latter. My name is Einan Lichterman. I'm working for the Israel National Cyber Directorate, the INCD, in the last past year. Before that, I was part of the Israeli security agencies, working on cyber arena for more than 15 years. And most of my time is looking on one side of the academic and one side of the emerging technologies that what will be tomorrow and how to make Israel great in this emerging technology, the upcoming, upcoming technologies. Uh, what can you tell us about the way you as the state interact with uh, those uh, elements? We have part of the resources, but more of that, we don't know anything. We know only part of the, of the way to do something. There's a lot of knowledge in the academia. There's a lot of knowledge in the industry. In the, in the third uh, NGOs and so on. So we have to work together in order to make something bigger than any one of us. In order to make so, we think we have to have the ability to put an effort and to put them all together around one table. We can let the ecosystem to develop itself. You need more younger people who think different. You can say the Z generation, willing to... To think in the way that it's not the, the, the standard way in the, in, the, in the government and to think how to build something together with others. What is the methodology of developing the future cyber tools? We believe in working together. We believe in creating development laboratories that elaborate together the government, big companies from abroad and the startup of Israel. Letting them work together inside something like laboratory, the government is founding part of this labor- laboratory. The, the abroad companies, the big companies, bring their ideas, bring the, the, the ecosystem, the, the commercial system, and the startups and the big companies have the, 
they, they bring in the, to the company the new ideas by the startups and the startups has a connection to these big companies as a main idea and have the, the way and the, the place to test their, their, their ideas and their products in a real in a close to real environment Israel is their beta yes and it's good for us because we get to to experience the technologies the experience uh, to be, to be to first in the to build and to be first in these technologies do you feel that it's easier in Israel where the um a lot of the people in the industry uh, did the same things in the army one of the benefits of Israel that is it's small small area small population small ecosystem helping us all to to work together most of us know each other from the army from other from other people connection and so on so we are basically uh, the, the ability to work together is easier does this um, closeness between the industry and the state um, cause problems cause trust issues for those um, cybersecurity vendors like we know about uh, Kaspersky and the United States the United States make no mistakes the government is not in the companies we are only working together to build something greater together we are not in the companies we are not having any data of any company we are not, in, we are not involving in, in, in any company we keep this limit <laughs> and do you have uh, cooperation with uh, companies abroad foreign companies yes we have cooperation with companies abroad <laughs> not for this discussion <laughs> okay <laughs> have you encountered in entities in the ecosystem that said they don't want to cooperate with the state for this or other reason most of our work is doing by um, in, in public and who wants to, to get in is getting in Mm-hmm. part of them is not want to don't want to get in commercial reasons or other reasons they they, they have to write to do it but we we will work with, with who want wants to want uh, to work with us are there things that you're afraid to share with companies because they might sell uh services based on those uh, uh developments to to other countries and um i mostly most of the time i don't give the companies the data They bring the, their own data, they bring their own ideas. I only, I only facilitate the idea, the, way, the, the, the place to do this research. I don't give the research itself. So you, you could use their tools to analyze your data, but they don't get the data. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. May I, sometimes I gave my data, my, my, my data as a research method. Not, a, not, not, to, not to, to purchase it or not, or not to, to use the outcomes of this data. And this data is what the state collects uh, within the law from its citizens. The data is not what the state collects from its citizens. No. No. Okay. <laughs> Neither data for citizens is getting in. No, no, way. Mm-hmm. no way. So is it so where's the data coming from? Uh, data is mostly commercial data we buy, we buy. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, not what we collect. Anything mm-hmm. the collection it's not getting in okay <laughs> do you think it would be better to create a company that is owned by the state and develops its own cyber uh, attack and cyber protection tools with the resources and the framework that a government can give a company government can give a, a framework a good framework But the knowledge is not in, most of the knowledge is not in, not in the government. There's more researchers out there, so the company will be better if it will be out of the government and only sell what the government needs. 
But I don't think the government needs is the is issue. I think the industry needs, the civilian needs is the issue and how to build together an ecosystem to get the civilians more, more things and more, more protected cyber, not by, not by the government, by the, by the industry itself. The same idea to work in the, in the industry is the same idea to work in the academia. We want a, a good academy. If we have good academy today, we have a good industry 10 years ahead. How to build a good academy? I don't know. Who will know? The academy itself knows how to build the better academy. What I have to do as a government in, in order to build a good academy is to let them and direct them to the things I want to do, but don't tell them how to do it. Let them do it in, the, in their way. It builds up a very good academy in Israel, in the cyber arena. Are you optimistic about the uh, state of Israel's uh, cybersecurity? Yes, I think Israel is growing up. I think that I can see the whole world is coming to us to see our ecosystem, to, to ask about how our ecosystem is working. They, they try to duplicate it in, 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 in not a good way. And the uniqueness of Israel in their ecosystem, the, the close connections, the close relationships between the government, industry, and the academia make, it, make something better. Matthew's having perfect. We're talking about the cyber ecosystem, And there's an actor whose part we don't uh, often discuss, but it's a very um, crucial part of that ecosystem, and that is the law. We'll discuss this with our next guest. Hi, I'm Deborah Hausen-Coriel. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a cybersecurity attorney with a practice in the Israeli and global commercial cyber sector. I'm also a member of the advisory board of the Hebrew University's Cyber Research Center, and I teach cyber law at the law faculty at Hebrew University. I think that the role of the law is it's not trivial when we talk about innovative cyber ecosystems, but it's also not necessarily transparent to the participants or to, or to observers or evident in terms of its impact. The role of law is developing as it relates to innovative cyber ecosystems, but I would start out with looking at uh, basic underpinnings that a legal system uh, gives within a given jurisdiction or even cross-jurisdictionally to the incentives for setting up a cyber hub or another kind of cyber ecosystem. So how do we structure a, the investment incentives for all of the, uh, the key actors that we want to bring in from the world of uh, cyber investment? The investment structures, taxes, are there any tax breaks involved? Which is, uh, again, not often looked at, not often observed, but really key in attracting uh, the kind of high quality, high end uh, actors in the ecosystem that you're interested in, in bringing to your own jurisdiction. Again, whether it's the uh, Israeli center in the south or uh, centers in the Netherlands and, and elsewhere. Uh, so how do we structure that to get the right people in the room, as it were? And then there's a second piece, which is, I think, uh, often overlooked, but really key and also developing. And that's the issue of uh, data protection, and which is a, a huge title. Sort yeah, of. So but, can we like can we share information with countries um, based on what they're going to do with this information? And if the protections that they um, supply are um, on par with ours? Exactly right. So there's a big question. And again, uh, explored in certain contexts and yet to be explored into the future, when we set up an innovative cyber ecosystem, it's all about knowledge exchange, right? Information exchange. That's the commodity. And... Um, or, one of the, or the chief commodity. So there are really interesting aspects of how those 
how information is exchanged, again, very important, very key, very critical information for cyber defense, for uh, the development of cyber products and information. How is that information uh, protected by the law? If it's a corporate IP and uh, are there national or uh, governmental constraints that uh, are imposed on the transfer of information? Again, not to dampen the idea of an innovative cyber ecosystem. This is all certainly I'm a big believer in law being an enabler and not being constrained. I think there's a question here about how we structure the legal underpinnings in an optimal way so that a maximum information exchange can take place and that everybody can everybody involved in the ecosystem can can uh, uh, rely upon um, the law to support the the exchange of, of of ip for example and one more piece of it if i may is the whole personal data uh, privacy exchange issue exactly so privacy less of a frontline issue in cyber ecosystems but certainly there and certainly something that needs to be looked at so taken all together, just to sort of sum up, and these are so these are three pieces that uh, sort of jump to jump to the forefront in terms of the role of law as an underpinning to effective, optimal, uh, innovative cyber ecosystems. There are certainly other issues that need to be looked at as well. Uh, one of the examples would be um, the implications of intellectual property, which might have uh, dual usage. Sure, that's a really controversial topic in a, in the cyber context and certainly in the innovative cyber ecosystem context. So there uh, there are constraints that are coming more and more to the forefront in the headlines that we read about the development of cyber services and cyber products that have dual uses. So on the assumption that um, this dual use characterization of what's happening in uh, the development of uh, Again, cyber products and services that also happens within innovative ecosystems. How do we best protect the creators of that information, of, of that IP, and the users of that IP? So that there's not a damper put on the innovative part of the innovative cyber ecosystems. So on the one hand, we need to protect uh, the innovators and encourage them to continue to innovate and not put constraints on uh, uh, what they're producing and what they're developing in terms of who's going to be able to use it eventually. How do innovative uh, cyber ecosystems change uh, the way knowledge is exchanged between actors? First of all, I think the information exchange that happens in innovative cyber ecosystems is absolutely turbocharged. It's really quick because people are in the same place and there's that hybrid element of um, uh, having, of course, the virtual underpinnings of uh, information exchange. So there are emails, there are websites, there are other way, uh, virtual ways of exchanging information. But there's also the the um, there's the water cooler, and the water cooler element is really really important. So that combination, that hybrid of the virtual uh, exchange of information and the physical exchange of information, what human beings have been doing for um, more than they've been doing the virtual is really, really key. So I think that would be the first element, that there's a there's that hybridization of the interaction uh, and that it happens really, really quickly. And the second element, I think, is that uh, there's a change in the timeline overall in a cyber-related activity for number one, encountering cyber threats and responding to them. That's sort of the negative aspect of, of, of or the, never, the negative out, the, let's say the less positive acts, uh, aspects of cyber innovation. So how do we encounter cyber threats? How do we do it quickly and effectively? 
And on the other side, there's the, the very, very quick timeline of cyber innovation for new products and services. Uh, time to market is, uh, is um, notorious for being uh, constantly shortened in cyberspace. So that's also a sense that the timelines are really, really shortened and the information exchange needs to be very, very quick. Uh, two more points I would add. I think there's a substantive difference with the knowledge exchange that takes place because innovative cyber ecosystems are dedicated to putting very diverse actors that are relevant for the development of cyber services and cyber products in the same place. And once the right people are around the table, uh, deeply diverse outlooks and approaches to uh, common issues, problems, challenges, both commercial and non-commercial, uh, can be produced uh, much more quickly and in a much deeper way, I think. And the final point that I would say is that there's a modality issue that's very different. So the ecosystem uh, that starts in Beersheba in a, in a northern neighborhood of the, of the city um, very quickly can even be extended into outer space or into uh, uh, certainly all the continents on Earth. So the ecosystems are very modular. They're easy to scale up and down. And that makes them much more tailored to the innovative process, I think. Are there any downsides or special challenges to cyber ecosystems? Let me respond to that in two ways. Um, the first is the the sort of most common response uh, to give to when asked what are the challenges to cyberspace in general today, and it's it's the easy answer, but it needs to be nuanced, and that's the answer of personnel. How do we train into the next generation enough cyber security personnel? or cyber development personnel for that matter, in order to fill this gap, we're talking about about 2 million people globally, in order to fill that gap and to fill it really, really well. The gap is usually described in terms of cybersecurity, but a recent conference that was sponsored by the Hebrew University Cyber Center and the Sloan School at MIT, uh, the issue came up specifically about the kind of cybersecurity expertise that's going to be necessary for bringing us successfully into the next generation. So we need cyber developers, we need managers, we need people who understand how to think about the challenges of cybersecurity and the challenges, for that matter, of developing cyber products and services into the future. And uh, it's a much more diverse development issue or challenge than I think we understand right now. And the second point, and with that, I think uh, we're circling back to the initial issue of what's the role of the law in uh, all of these cyber ecosystems. It's about, I think, making participation in an innovative ecosystem worthwhile to participants. Nobody's going to invest time, energy, uh, and other resources in, in an innovative ecosystem unless there's uh, some sort of output, some sort of benefit. And uh, I think the law can really move ahead in structuring uh, cyber ecosystems or innovative cyber ecosystems so that it can be absolutely maximalized. And that in terms of the personnel, in terms of the protection of data, in terms of the way that these ecosystems are structured uh, in a physical sense, that uh, we're really at the beginning of the, the journey for legal systems to see really how they do that best. I would like to thank our guests. Ami Cheniak. Thank you very much. Einan Nichterman. Thank you. Advocate Deborah Housen Creel. Thanks so much. That's it for this episode of Lex Kibernetica. I'm Itok Einan. See you in cyberspace. 
This was Lex Kibernetica. Lex Kibernetica. More episodes are available at the Hebrew University Cybersecurity Research Center site at csrcl.huji.ac.il.